thank you for listening to the weekly message at First Baptist Church in Bushland, Texas. Thanks for being here today. If you have your copy of God's Word, open it to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. If this is your first Sunday at First Baptist Church, the pastor did not gain 100 pounds and grow some hair. He'll be, uh, he'll be back. He'll be back next Sunday. He's doing a wedding down in, uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth, and uh, so we're pinch-hitting for the, for the man today. I'm glad that you're here. 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, we moved to Amberley in at Oklahoma State. My daughter, my oldest daughter, a few weeks ago, and her college pastor uh, shared an outline on Elisha, a very familiar passage, and boy, I loved it, and uh, want to share it with you today. 1 Kings chapter 19, we have one goal today, one goal and one purpose only, and that is to allow the teaching of God's Word to build our faith today. Allow the teaching of God's Word to build our faith. We want to have a ridiculous amount of faith, a ridiculous amount of faith. Now if you're a little bit old school, ridiculous in this sense is actually good, it's it's actually good. Some words have changed and have double meanings nowadays, right? Something's bad, it could be bad, or it could, it could be bad. That's a bad Ford F-250 that he got there in the driveway. Something that's sick, if you throw up on me, that's sick. Sean White does some sick stuff with a skateboard and a snowboard. It's sick. Ridiculous used to mean outlandish in a bad way, but it can be... Ridiculous in a good way, right? If the cake is ridiculous, if the cake is really, really good, it's, it's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous cake. Elisha, let's set the context a little bit. Elisha and Elijah are two Old Testament prophets, not to be confused, one with the other. Uh, good twin names. Anybody know Elisha and Elijah Demerson in town? One of them used to be our uh, uh, county commissioner, I think. I've worked with some interesting twins over the years. I worked with a, a guy named Rito. Rito, his twin sister's name was, was Rita. His mother just wanted to buy a vowel, I guess, and uh, that was some interesting. I played basketball with a guy in college in a, in a league, in a six-foot-two and under league. Uh, he was a preacher guy, a uh, big, big black guy, big strong guy, right at the threshold for that six-foot-two and under league at East Central University, and his name was Morvin, Morvin. Good preacher, good basketball player. He had a twin brother named Marvin. Yeah, Marvin and Morvin. We're not talking about Rito and Rita or Marvin and Morvin today, but let's look at Elijah and Elisha. Elisha wanted to be like Elijah. And and we're going to see he was bold enough to ask God for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. Now, by this time in the Word of God, Elijah had done some pretty incredible stuff. And for Elisha to ask for a double portion of Elijah's anointing is pretty brash. It's pretty arrogant in some respects. But God in His sovereign will is going to give Elisha, Elisha who studied under Elijah, He is going to eventually give him a double portion of Elijah's anointing. In fact, Elisha in the Word of God uh, performs more miracles, more miracles performed than any other single person in Scripture uh, other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What's interesting to note about Elisha, as we'll see in the text in a minute, is that he was very ordinary. 
He wasn't the son of a priest or the son of a prophet. He wasn't, he, you know, he wasn't a monk or something. He didn't come from a long line of, of spiritual giants. He, he wasn't some, he was just an ordinary guy. He was an ordinary guy living at home with his parents and working on the farm, on the family farm. But we're going to see God's going to call him to do something incredible. Something incredible. Elisha lives, the context historically is, Elisha lives in the 9th century B.C. It's interesting to remember that in the 9th century B.C., God's people, Israel, are divided. They're a divided kingdom. And most people are worshiping the false god of Baal. They're doing all kinds of crazy stuff in this false worship of this false god to the point that they're even sacrificing their children, some of them, in sacrifice and worship to the false god of Baal. And Elijah and Elisha are prophesying and preaching and ministering in that context. But in the middle of that farm context, in the middle of that historical context, God is going to take an ordinary guy and He's going to do something extraordinary. Let's look at the Word of God together. 1 Kings chapter 19. Verses 19 to 21. So Elijah went up from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. And then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. And he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Somebody say that's the beginning of a ridiculous story. Somebody else besides Asher. That's the beginning of a ridiculous story. So here we go. I want us to see, I want us to see a, Elisha's ridiculous commitment of faith. Look again at verse 19. Right in the middle. It says he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. He was doing what he had been doing all of his life, all of his, since he was physically able to do it. He had been faithful to the task in his family farm, day in and day out. I've been reading a book this week by Pastor Stephen Furtick. He's a pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina at Elevation Church. He's written a book called Greater. Greater. It's not about his church, although it could be. They planted this church six years ago, Paxton, and they'll have over 10,000 people in worship this weekend, six years ago. He's about 32 or 33 years of age. Phenomenal phenomenal book. I highly I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a great faith-building book. And he points out something about Elisha in his book that I never really thought about before. And that is the monotony of plowing fields behind oxen day in and day out. Listen to what he calls it. Pastor Stephen calls it the repetitive movement of mundane living. The repetitive movement of mundane living. Think about that repetitive movement. If you're plowing behind oxen every day, what do you smell Day in and day out. Oxen residue. 
Oxen residue. What do you see plowing behind oxen day in and day out? In case you can't visualize, I've given you some help here. What you actually see, that is your scenery, and that is not cool. You've got to get that off of there quick. He's got an issue not taken care of there that I did not notice. How would you like to see that every day? That's, that was Elisha's view. That was his day in, day out life. Every single day. Some of you may feel like Elisha sometime in the repetitive movement of mundane living. You may feel like every day you're taking a look at oxen rears like Elijah was, Elisha was. Every day, Elisha's looking at oxen rears. He's smelling oxen rears. He's getting the dust caked on himself from the plowing of the oxen. And he's faithful to it, but it can't be fun. Now, I'm not suggesting you call your co-workers oxen rears tomorrow morning, but maybe you're in a job where you feel like you're stuck in the repetitive movement of mundane living. Maybe you feel like day in and day out, all you're doing is looking at oxen rears and catching the dust and the odors of such a life. Maybe you're a student, college student, and you study and you work to pay the bills and you study and you work to pay the bills or you take out more and more college loans and day in and day out, the monotony of the mundane is driving you crazy. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. What are your days like? I'm not calling your children oxen rears. But diapers and laundry and dishes and diapers and laundry and dishes and you can feel like you're staring at oxen rears and the repetitive movement of mundane living. In the middle of that, it's easy to lose your passion, isn't it? It's easy when all you see is oxen rears to lose your passion that you may have once had for the Lord. This is where Elisha was. But notice before we move on, he was faithful. He was faithful to the task at hand. He couldn't figure out, students, what he would possibly do with algebra in his adult life, but he did it anyway. He was faithful to the little things. And I believe this with all of my heart, and I know most of you do as well. God is faithful himself to reward us when we're faithful in the little things. When we faithfully put our hands to the plow, and regardless of the residue, and regardless of the view, we put ourselves to that which God has called us, He is faithful and just and will reward us. But, in the middle of Elisha's daily routine, in the middle of our daily routine, there can come a call to take us from the ordinary to the extraordinary. There can come a call to take us to a place of ridiculous impact. Look at verse 19 again at the end. Verse 19, that last, that last sentence in verse 19. Elijah, Elisha is faithful to the task behind the oxen, day in and day out. He's faithful. And look at verse 19. Elijah goes up to him, went up to him, and threw his cloak around him. Now, Elijah's cloak, his covering, his mantle was made out of animal skin or fur. It protected him from the elements but there's some symbolism here that I want you to see. Elisha's plowing. He's faithful to the task at hand, regardless of the scenery and the smells. And Elijah comes up to him. I get a sense that Elisha doesn't notice. And Elijah throws that covering or that mantle upon him. Symbolically, 
Elijah is saying, that which covered me will now cover you. That which is the mantle on me will now be upon you. That which is the anointing of God in my life shall now be the anointing of God in your life. You're going to be my student and I'm going to be your mentor. I'm going to be your mentor. As God has been working through me, now God is going to work through you, he's saying to Elisha. He put his mantle, he put his covering over Elisha. Now let's apply the story to our lives. We're taking notes, two principles of ridiculous commitment. Two principles of ridiculous commitment. God's going to call Eli- is going to call Elisha to follow Elijah, and he's not going to know all the details. Here's the first. Here's the first principle if you're taking notes. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Look at verse 20 again. Verse 20. It says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. He left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Notice this. He didn't have to pray about it. Lightning rod. Preacher said he didn't have to pray about it. This is so I don't get struck when I say something like that. What? He didn't have to pray about it? He didn't have to pray about it. It says he immediately ran after Elijah. He didn't have to make a list of the pros and cons, did he? Pros why I should, cons why I shouldn't. He didn't have to consult his counselor or watch this. He didn't even consult mom and dad in the farmhouse, did he? You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Listen, you may not know what's coming around the bend in your life. You may not know what decisions are going to have to be made in your life, financially or in your career, or some kind of health situation. You may not know what's coming around the bend, but listen to this. If you will put yourself in a posture of spiritual readiness... When God throws a mantle on you or puts an opportunity in your life, if you and I find ourselves and put ourselves in a faithful daily position and posture of spiritual readiness, when God calls us, we can say yes and go immediately. Amen? We can go and do what He's calling us to do. Listen, and God will rarely give you and I all the details. He rarely gives us the details. He's often strategically vague, in fact, in His direction. You and I want all the details, don't we? God says you can't handle the details, right? Sorry, God doesn't sound like Jack Nicholson, even a, even a, poor, a poor attempt at that from a few good men. But we can't handle the details, can we? And God knows it. If God gave us the details in advance, most of us wouldn't show up, much less run after immediately what He's calling us to do. We're just not built that way, most of us. Or wired that way. In fact, God will often just give us one word, right? Abraham, Moses in the Old Testament. Abraham, what's the word? Go to the land I will show you. Moses, I've heard the cries of my people, and I want you to what? I want you to go and lead them out. In the New Testament, Peter He looks out and he sees Jesus walking on the water towards the boat. You remember that story? And he says, that is ridiculous. 
Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, come, Peter. One commentator said Peter didn't actually walk on the water. He walked on the word of Jesus, the C-O-M-E of Jesus. Oftentimes in our lives, God will only give us one word. Some of you may hear one word from God. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage and you're ready to bail out. And God's one word to you is stay. Stay. Maybe you've got a health issue, a cancer, a surgery coming up, some kind of difficulty in your life in a health issue. Maybe God gives you one word. Maybe that word's trust. You hang on to that word. Maybe God's given you a business idea or a ministry idea. And He's called you to some idea and He's laid it on your heart. Maybe your one word is start. Start. Maybe you've been a part of our church and you go, you know, you guys have an incredible worship team. Maybe you say, this church has got a phenomenal pastor. How many of you guys in here? How many men in here would say Jeff Ponder is one of your best friends? Raise your hands. Come on, raise your hands. You know you do, like a hundred of us do. He's got more best friends than anybody in the world. Most of the time, that's our perspective, and I'm sure it is too, uh, his too. But maybe you've been coming to church, worship, and God's got a word for you. Maybe his word for you is commit. Commit. Maybe you're a great single girl and you're dating a jerk. A moron, punk. Maybe God's got a word for you, ladies. Maybe His word for you is break up with the jerk. That's that's five words, right? But maybe you need five words instead of maybe you need five words instead of one. You're too good for that fixer-upper punk. What if I don't find a good guy? What if I'm alone someday? What if nobody loves me? Listen, you can't marry a cherry limeade when you're dating a slush, right? What, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. It's not as easy as bad and bad and sick and sick. Listen, you don't have to understand everything to do what God is telling you to do, do you? You and I do not have to know all the details. I do not have to understand fully to obey immediately. To obey immediately. Second principle, if you're taking notes. The second principle. Those God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. This is going to speak to somebody here today. Those that God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. Look at verse 21. Watch what Elisha does. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. What in the world? He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. God is calling Elisha to follow the prophet Elijah and be like him and maybe even greater than him. So what does he do? So what does he do? He kills the cows and burns the plows. 
He kills the cows and burns the plows. That's ridiculous. He kills the cows and burns the plows. Now you can kind of see kill the cows, right? I mean, can, can you kind of see that? You can kind of see kill the cows. I mean, in the Bible, you know, the, the sacrifice for redemption of sins and an offering to God and, and the prodigal son, right? You can kind of see kill the cows, prodigal son. The son says, I'm going to return to my father. And the father sees him coming and he says, kill the fattened calf. And he says to the son, how do you like yours? And the son says, medium rare. And they party, right? You can kind of see kill the cows, but burn the plows? What in the world is going on here? It's as if Elisha is saying, listen, it's as if Elisha is saying, there is no plan B. There's only follow God. There's no plan B. There's only follow God. There's only obey God. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Can I tell you something? As a dad, if Amberly comes home from Stillwater or someday down the road, Kinsley comes in and one of them says, Dad's, Dad, God is calling me to a ridiculous thing. I'm probably going to say, you know, I'm proud in all of your faith and you want to follow God, but let's keep the cows and plows, right? As a dad, I'm thinking, you might want to have something to fall back on in case the whole radical, ridiculous faith kind of thing doesn't work out so well for you. Just being honest here. My life group doesn't like it when I'm that honest that often. But, but what you and I see in Scripture is this. What we see in Scripture, there are oftentimes when people are so convinced, of, they're so moved by God that they do ridiculous things to follow Him. You ever notice that? They do things that are contrary or opposite to what the world would do. When Jesus encountered Peter for the first time in Luke chapter 5, Peter had been having a bad fishing day, and Jesus says, let's put out into deep water and have a catch. And Peter goes, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. It's, it's been a bad day. Jesus says, just do it. So Peter does it, and they go out. Remember, he puts the nets down in deep water, and he hauls in so much fish that the nets start to break. You remember that story? Luke chapter 5, and Peter goes, whoa, <laughs> I'm a sinful man, and, and you're the Lord, and I, I don't deserve to be in the boat with you. You know what Jesus said to him? Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will become a fisher of man. You know what the Word of God says in Luke chapter 5 and verse 11? In Luke chapter 5 verse 11 it says this, and they left everything to follow Him. They left everything to follow Him. Contextualize that to your life. You, you leave your home, you leave your friends, you leave your fam family, you leave your church, you leave your comfort zone. The Word of God says they left everything, they left everything to follow him. To some of you, God's going to give you a plow burning faith. To some of you in this room and in our church family, God is going to give a plow burning faith. Something's going to happen in you, listen, and you will never be the same. 
God's going to put a mantle on you, an anointing on you, a covering on you, and you're going to look up and you say, I have got to run immediately toward that which God is calling me. Fifteen years ago or so, I was the pastor of a little church. We're almost done here. I was the pastor of a church. And there was a lady in the church and she said, my nephew, I want you to pray for my nephew. Uh, God's calling him to the mission field. I was like, that's cool. That's awesome. Where's he going? She said, to the interior of Africa. I said, what's he going to do there? She said, oh, he's a pediatrician. He's going to do medical missions in the heart of Africa. She said, he's, he's in Denver and he's a partner uh, in a great pediatric practice. He's going to sell his interest in the partnership and he's going to go for the rest of his life to the heart of Africa, the interior of Africa, and, and, and tell people about Jesus and gather his audience by taking care of their medical, their medical needs. I said, that's awesome. Let's pray for him. He gets there, and immediately upon arriving in the, in the interior of Africa, he gets malaria. She, she gets malaria. She comes back to me and says, Pastor Mike, you've got to pray for my nephew. He's got malaria. Pray for him to get well so they can bring him home. Well, they, they nurse him back to health. He gets well. And he's, he's finally diving into his missions there. And he gets malaria again. Gets malaria again. Almost kills him this time. <laughs> this lady in my church said, Pastor Mike, you've you got to pray for him to get well and to come home and get away from that God-awful place once and for all. You know what happened? He, he eventually gets well. And his family said to him, You're coming home, aren't you? He said, Are you crazy? When God calls you to do something, there's no turning back. There's no turning back. Now listen, I'm one of his family member. I'd probably be wanting him to come home too. But can I tell you something? I admire a, God, a guy who says, when God calls me to something, nobody is going to get in the way of me doing what God calls me to do. No turning back. Look at the person sitting beside you. Look at the person sitting beside you as we finish and say, maybe you need to burn a plow. Come on, do it. Look at the person beside you and say, maybe you need to burn a plow. Now, look at the person who is your second choice and say the same thing. Say it. Maybe you need to burn a plow. Maybe you need to burn a plow. Listen, I don't know what it would be in your life. I don't know what it would be in your life. Listen, as we finish. If there's a sin holding you back from the will of God in your life, you burn that plow. If there's a relationship in your life holding you back from ridiculous faith, you burn that plow. If there's a doubt in your life keeping you from answering God's call, you burn that plow. Listen, we're not going to let anything keep us from a life of faith to which God has called us. Here's why. Because you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Those that God uses the most are those that hold on to the least. You may be looking at oxen rears right now, but God may be calling you to a life of ridiculous faith. Let's pray together. Father, we pray during this time of commitment the Minkies and the Janelles come. God, there may be some, some folks who, who need to come and be prayed over. Father, there may be some folks who say a, a, a person, a situation, some doubt, some fear has been holding me back from a ridiculous faith. And I may not be Elisha with that double anointing, 
but I want to say yes to that which God is calling me. Pray over me. Father, there may be some folks here today who've been on the sidelines like a football game. 70,000 people badly in need of exercise and 20 people on the field in bad need of rest. And you're calling some of us to get out of the stands and get into the action on the field in the kingdom of God at First Baptist Church. Father, there may be somebody here who's stuck in the, in the repetitive movement of mundane living and they don't even know what to do. Maybe they just need prayer. Father, maybe there's somebody here today that you're not calling them to the heart of Africa, but you're calling them to the saving love of Jesus. And for the first time ever, they're willing to turn from their sin and put their faith and trust in you through Jesus. God, whatever the commitment that you're calling today, we individually, as families and as a church family, we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And that you use the most those who will hold on to the least. God, give us a plow-burning faith. We pray in Jesus' name.